hello and welcome or welcome back to the podcast and that's true. My name is Sarah and three months ago I became a dog owner when I adopted a puppy and I'm just letting you know that because he is here with me now and I've given him a bone to keep him busy while I record this intro. So if you hear any atrocious sounds uh, just know that that's what that is. For this episode, I am bringing back a very special, very important guest, and that is my good friend, Savannah Latanzi. Savannah is a campus minister. She teaches at a Jewish boys' school, and most recently, she's become a matriculating master's in social work student at the University of Pennsylvania. Savannah had come to me with the idea to do an episode on modesty, which I thought was a great idea because modesty is just one of those topics where... The same thing is said again and again, and nobody really cares, and it's super uninteresting. But Savannah came to me with a lot of super interesting information, super interesting ideas uh, that I felt would be good to get out there to the world and to anyone who is trying to live their life for the Lord. So one early morning before work, we sat down at her kitchen table to talk about modesty, and I am hoping that you will join the conversation. I will warn you, the beginning is a little bit heady. It's full of information, but it's important to carefully listen to because that really builds the foundation for what we talk about in the latter part of the episode. And I hope you'll notice how I notice is you can tell when the coffee kicks in and things just get really, really good. The episode blessed me. I hope it blesses you. And so if you're interested, just keep on listening. Yeah. What are we going to talk about? Yeah. So today I just thought, well, I brought to Sarah that we should have a conversation about modesty. I think it's um, something we don't talk about a lot in Christian culture, except in a very negative way and something we should probably talk about more. Um, Agreed. As you said, um, I'm a campus minister and so um, I lead discipleship groups with, um, with students and In my discipleship group with seniors, we just spend a lot of time talking about whatever thing we think is difficult. And so one of the things that they brought up that they thought um, was really difficult and something that they would like to cover in D-group is the topic of modesty and modesty for women, how we um, should be dressing to honor the Lord. And that just really um, sparked me to do a lot of research and think a lot about the topic. And so, yeah, I thought it would be a fun thing for us to talk about. Agreed. And I think it's such an important topic, especially for young women mm. in the faith, because what, I mean, what's the first thing when you, when you think of modesty, what's the first thing that's discussed? Uh, well, yoga pants is the big topic. <laughs> leggings. I've read flared leggings. Uh, flared leggings. <laughs> I've read so many books. Uh, I've read so many books that I'm like, Oh, this book is so good. Except for this one sentence where they talk about how leggings is a sin. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, so many, Yeah. It's just this idea of like cover up. The more clothes you have on, the better. I think that's kind of like the vibe in culture. That's kind of what, that's what comes to mind, I think, when people say the word modest or to dress modestly. And it's mostly spoken about towards women. Yeah. Which is another big problem. Um, So let's just start by defining or loosely discussing um, what is modesty and what is it not? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we just talked about, like, the cultural 
ideas of modesty. And I think the important thing to remember about modesty is it's not pigeonholed into that, right? It's not just cover up. It's not actually just what you wear, right? It's not actually even just your outward appearance, right? The I think the thing before we get into like more specifics on modesty and clothing specifically is that modesty is a heart orientation. Mm. Like it's a, it's an overflowing of the heart, right? If you're, um, if you're modest in your heart, you'll be modest in your dress and the way that you present yourself and the way that you move in the world, I think. Um, actually, I think when I started doing research on this, I kind of forgot that modesty was broader than dress. Mm. I kind of didn't think of that right away. Um, yeah, that didn't come to my mind. And then I was like, oh yeah, I forgot that that is like a broader thing. It's not just about how you dress because we were thinking of it in this very specific context. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. So what would you say the point of modesty is, biblically speaking? I have this really nice quote, which I wish I could attribute to a person, but... um, (laughs) You just found it somewhere? I found it somewhere and I copied it because I was like, oh, this is good. But then I forgot to like write it down. So to this person, if you're listening... Here's credit for this. I quote. I love your definition. Thank you. <laughs> um, and it says it says this. I I really think it's it's a beautiful way to put it. It says, modesty is a respectable manner of adorning one's body and carrying oneself, born out of a freedom from a worldly definition of beauty and worth, and motivated by a hatred of sin and a desire to draw attention to God. I just think that's really beautiful in the way that we think of modesty as like an outward um, thing. But I think also, yeah, the whole point of modesty is to draw attention to God and not to yourself. And I really, in that definition, the word freedom caught my attention. Yeah. Um, Cause so often, like it, like it would be easy to believe that dressing how you want and acting how you want is freedom. Yeah. Um, but that's so, that's so wrong, which I, I think we can dive in into that a little more later um but yeah modesty it's it's kind of a relief and it's restful to not have to strive to show to present yourself a certain way to be ascribed to value yeah in the world so that really changes the way you walk around i feel yeah i think there are just so many good parts of that of that quote which is why i was like yeah I think the the phrase that really stuck out to me is um, motivated by a hatred of sin and a desire Mm. to draw attention to God. I just think that is like, yeah, that's really what it is, right? Is to like get away from the ways of the world and get closer to the ways of the Lord, which is what we're all trying to do as we like pursue a a, a, like Christian lifestyle and in a way draw closer to the Lord throughout all of our lives, right? So that's what modesty is not and that is what it is. And that's the end of this podcast. Yeah. Hi. <laughs> Thanks for having me. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, we would we would be doing a disservice not to read some scripture. Um, so, Sav, I'll just have you start with um, what's you know one of the most what's a relevant scripture on this topic in modesty. Yeah. So I think um, it's really important for us to focus on the writings of Paul. I think those are kind of like the most contentious. Um, scriptures when we talk about modesty and particularly modesty for women in the in the early church and then um, what we can take from that and make it like what's relevant to us today right Um, Paul is writing to people 
all over kind of the early world. Um, and their cultures are really different from each other. So I think that's the first thing to note, um, before we like get in. Um, yeah. So kind of the first, the first scripture I wanted to draw attention to is first Timothy two verses nine and 10 first Timothy two, which we were talking about a little bit before the podcast started is, is a chapter that we should study often. I think as women who love the Lord, because it's a difficult one yeah. and it's a, it's so anti what our culture would say. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm just going to read that. Um, it says, I also want the women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, adorning themselves, not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. I think that part maybe is not that contentious, but if you read the rest of the chapter. But I also <laughs> yeah. think um, the idea that Paul would tell women specifically what to wear, that's where people get um, yeah. get upset. Um, but so the basic point that Paul's trying to make here is that women should prepare themselves spiritually and prioritize that over physical preparation. Um, Yeah, so the thing we should be recognized by is our good works, not necessarily our outward appearance. So if your outward appearance is distracting from your good works, then that's not going to allow you to talk to people about Jesus well. Um, So I think the first thing, which I said before, is that like context is really important here. Yeah. Um, In the letters to Timothy, um, Paul is addressing the church in Ephesus. Um, And the church in Ephesus has a very specific context, which we should pay a lot of attention to here. Um, and the first thing is it's a super progressive city for the time, right? Um, and progressive, even like in the sense that we think here is they were really, um, they really stressed the equality of men and women and men and women had near equal rights in Ephesus and going along with that, um, Artemis was the god of the city. Um, it's a Greek city. So they worshiped Greek gods. Um, and Artemis was the patron god of the city, Artemis is a female, it's a goddess, um, and she is regarded as the god of fertility, um, the hunt, and so that's a really like strong, positive, positive if you, for for women in the context, um, female image, right? So because of that, because their city god was a goddess, um, women took the forefront in religion and culture in Ephesus. Um, Yeah, so a big thing when they were writing to the early church, um, the apostles, and their ministry to Ephesus, is they wanted to break down these cults of Artemis, which were super dominant in the city. Um, Because Christianity was not widely accepted in Ephesus when these letters were written, and Christianity was super opposite to the culture, um, it was really... And yeah, it was really countercultural. Um, and because Artemis was so highly revered, women took a higher role in religion and culture, and therefore women needed to be spoken to directly um, and specifically in this context. Yeah. Um, so I think another, like, the main point that Paul's trying to make here and why he addresses women, addresses women specifically here is that Christian women needed to be set apart from the cult of Artemis. And the women of the cult of Artemis were wearing those gold, those pearls. They were looking super high class and wealthy because that is the place they had in society. And therefore, if Christian women dressed the same way, they would be identified with the cult of Artemis women. Um, and they're trying to be set apart. Yeah, so I think... Um, 
while we can like, we should not only like put this, although it's important to put it in the culture, we can't like only view the writings of Paul um, to Ephesus in the culture of Ephesus and say none of it relates to us now because otherwise why would it be in the Bible, which is something that we're supposed to be reading now. Um, Yeah. So bridging the teachings of Paul to the church in Ephesus so long ago to us now as modern women of faith, what would you say it looks like to present ourselves in the image of Christ um, when we live in a society of carefully curated images? Yeah. Yeah, because we want to make it seem a lot more different than it is, right? Um, We want to say that we're so far removed from the culture of Ephesus, but that's not really true. Yeah, I think there's a way to dress ourselves in a way that's honoring to Christ. I think it is um, kind of ambiguous in, in the Bible, right? Because Paul's not reading to our, writing to our contest. But I think um, another scripture that really like brings some light to this and um, might help us here is from 1 Peter in chapter 3. Um, and these few verses, verses 2 through 5, say... Um, Your beauty should not come from outward adornment such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. I want to put in parentheses, it's talking about spiritual quietude here, um, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. I think that's such a great passage that talks about where our beauty should come from right and I think um I think we all know people who are like have that like joy um and it's like that's the thing you notice first about them right when they like come into a room that's the way our like our beauty should be rooted in the joy of the Lord right um and the attributes of Christ is like, that's what people should notice about us when we first come in if your clothing is distracting from that if you're wearing all sorts of of crazy stuff that draws attention to you and your flesh and your being rather than Christ, that's when it gets tricky, right? Um, I think something that somebody pointed out um, when I was doing research about this, I don't know where it, it, it is in my notes, but um, the punctuation in the First Timothy passage is important here because Paul's not saying, that, he's saying, Here's, here's the punctuation. I'm going to read it with the punctuation. Okay. I also want the women to dress modestly, comma, with decency and propriety, comma, adorning themselves, comma. That's the important comma. Mm. Not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds, et cetera, et cetera. He's not saying don't adorn yourself. He's saying adorn yourself in a way that's like, glorifying to the Lord. Yeah. Right. He knows there's going to be some sort of ornamentation. You're going to wear something, some sort of fashion on your being. He's not saying don't do that. He's saying it needs to be honoring to God. Yeah. So don't do it this way because this is not going to be honoring to God in your specific context where women who are anti-God are dressing like that. Yeah. Right. That I think is really important. I think also a very similar point. Um, I pulled this quote from the philosopher Philo, um, who is writing in the context and describes the way that sex workers look at the time. Mm. Um, And similarly to the cult of Artemis people, priestesses, philosophers, I don't know what the right word would be for them. (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) Um, Sex workers are dressing very similarly. 
So they're described as having hair dressed in elaborate braids, eyes with pencil lines, eyebrows smoothed in paint, and expensive clothing embroidered lavishly with flowers and bracelets and necklaces of gold and jewels hanging all over her. So not only is Paul trying to set Christian women apart from these people who are worshiping straight up another goddess, but he's also trying to set them apart from these people who are living in a way that's very anti the call of Christ. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, it's not like he's making a timeless moral argument here. What he's saying is this is the culture you live in, in Ephesus. You're trying to be a woman of God in Ephesus and here's what women who are not women of God look like. So maybe it'd be good for you to not look like that. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think um, when I read this discussion in your notes, uh, what came to mind about modesty is that modesty doesn't conceal beauty. Mm. Um, we're still created in, in the image of God and we're still called to be beautiful. Um, but the, the beauty, the emphasis is on the inward and how that flows out. And I think of Psalm 34, 5, which says, those who look on him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. And I take that, especially that first part, very literally, those who look on him are radiant. Um, I'll, I'll never forget this moment when I first became a believer. I was a barista at Starbucks. I was home for the summer. Um working my barista job. And one of my coworkers who I'd known, who I'd met before going off to school in New York, um, you know, and then I had, you know, my coming to Christ moment came back. She was like, something is just different about you. You are just glowing. Mm. Um, and that, like that hit me. And I noticed that about other believers, men and women, like when yeah. you are looking to Christ and he is just like so evidently in you and working through you, you just glow differently because it's, it's no longer you shining through. It's no longer Sarah shining through, but it's who you are in him mm -hmm. and him shining through you. And I, when I was preparing for this, I thought about like, what did Jesus look like? Um, he had to be the most attractive man because <laughs> like he, he was God. He was like, the son of the manufacturer of the human body. Like, sure, yeah. He had to be attractive. Um, and I think about the transfiguration in Matthew 17. It says that his face shone like the sun and his clothing became white as light. Um, and, and remember about Jesus is that he was like, he was like a nomad. Like he lived on very little um, and he depended on other people for yep. most of his basic needs. And so one of, one of the powerful lessons of the transfiguration as it pertains to this discussion is that Jesus's spiritual glory became visible. Um, and it became the most visible thing about him in that encounter. And then also part of that story, like immediately after God, he speaks to the disciples that are with Jesus on the mountain. And he says that this is his son with whom he is well pleased and that they are to listen to him. Um, and then what happens to the disciples they fall on their faces and it says in terror and not because not in terror because God was so ugly, but because he was so holy and so other from mm -hmm. what they were and from what we are outside of Christ. And so they're put to shame by God's appearance. 
Um, so much so that they literally plant their faces into the ground. But then um, Jesus, it says that he touches them, which it, it, and that helps them get up, like which is so powerful. Jesus touches them and they get up from their shameful posture. And then when they lift their eyes, it says that they saw no one but Jesus only. Mm. And that's just, oh, that gives me chills. Yeah. Um, and we as believers were invited multiple times in scripture to imitate Jesus and to be transformed by him. And I think how a big part of how we do that is by looking at him and listening to him um, as instructed in, you know, in this particular scripture. And I think that that's central to one's like modesty journey, if you will, um, is like looking to Jesus, allowing him to convict you and him to lead you in your decision making about what you will wear, mm. how you will speak, what you do with your money and your belongings, how you treat others. I mean, everything like modesty it truly is more broad than just what you put on your body. And I think that this applies to both men and women. So Savannah, my next question for you would be, um, where in scripture do you see modesty spoken about, um, regarding men or regarding both men and women or, you know, the relationship between men and women? Yeah. So I think, I mean, a good example, we can talk about men all throughout scripture. Things are said about how they dress. I think we just don't focus on it, um, which is a mistake. But if we want to talk about both of those things, um, in 1 Corinthians 11, um, there's this discourse um, on what men and women should look like when they're praying or prophesying or just speaking in the name of the Lord, right? Um, And so verses, I'm going to read verses 4 through 16 um, here. And there's a lot, I want to preface this by saying there's a lot in this passage um, and I'm not saying that we're going to break down every single thing that's in this bag. <laughs> that's <laughs> a second part. Today we're part talking two. about modesty. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. So verse four starts. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her, her head uncovered dishonors her head. Since it is the same as if her head was shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. For if a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord... Woman is not independent of man nor man of woman. For as woman was made for man, so man is now born of woman. And all things are from God. Judge yourselves. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is disgraceful for him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory? For her hair is given to her for a covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. Yeah, that's a lot. It is a lot. That's a lot. <laughs> it is a lot. But I think um, something I'll, I'll say just briefly to start is um, I think when you when we hear that verse, like, uh, where is it? Oh, 
she disgraces her head and woman was from man and all that. But then right after that, it goes, now man is born of woman. Yeah. Like, why are you disconnecting those two things? That's so powerful. Yeah. Um, it's talking about like this, this like working together ness. Yes. (laughs) Right. It's, it's not being like, well, you're being this way and it's like, that's against it. Like, that's not what it's saying here. It's just saying, well, I'll tell you what it's saying. (laughs) Just, tell us. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, again, Paul's writing in a certain context. So it's a custom for Greeks and Romans, um, and, and Jews it's law, um, previously that no woman should be seen abroad without a veil. Um, this is like the custom everywhere. That's like kind of the thing. And, and again, the people who go without veils are sex workers. Mm. So, that connotation would have been immediately there for anyone who saw a woman without In a veil. that cultural context. Right. Yes. Right. Back then. Yes. Right there. Yeah. Right. Um, so this is, this is similar. It's like a similar thing with lots of people who wear head coverings in certain cultures today. Right. It's supposed to be, it's supposed to invoke these feelings of humility and modesty, right. Yeah. That you're not, you don't want anyone to distract from what you're putting out from your appearance, right? It's covering of the hair. So like Muslims with the hijab, similar thing. Um, that's just the culture. So that's like the context that they're living in. In Corinth, that's the deal as well, right? That would really distracted from what they're putting out into the world yes. if they're going that hard against the culture. Yeah. Because the what people would probably receive from that, well, this person's not like us. This person is not part of our people, which is not the truth. Um, and they... It's important to make it feel like it's the truth. This person's like us, and this person also knows Jesus. Yes. Yeah. Um, I think another thing that's really beautiful that we also, it's easy to skip over in this passage, is Paul is saying that women are going to pray. Paul is saying that women are going to prophesy. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah. And because that's the truth, they have to do so in a way that's honoring to the Lord. Yeah. Right? He's saying, you're going to pray, you're going to prophesy. Here's how to do it well in Corinth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that just, that brings me joy. (laughs) That brings me a lot of joy. Um, and a lot of hope. Yeah. 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 Okay. So in, in, we talked about in Greece, like it's important to wear veils. So yeah. Um, pagan priestesses also very similar thing to Ephesus. Pagan priestesses often took off their veils when they began to pray or prophesy. And that's also like an association that Christian women don't want in Corinth. Um, that's also a similar thing. Um, I think we could go on and get like really, really into like the culture and the shaving of head. Um, Paul, Paul talks about, Paul talks about like, um, women's long hair, Um, Paul had a really interesting relationship with long hair. Um, We know that he's not telling men here, don't have your hair long, like in general, because Paul had this vow in Acts. We read in Acts how Paul has this vow of keeping his hair long. Um, For whatever reason, you can look more into that. Podcast listeners, I'm not going to get too far into that. But he's, so it's really important to be like, these are men in Corinth that he's speaking to. And women have long hair in Corinth, right? So... How do we look correctly to pray or prophesy in Corinth? Um, I also thought it's really interesting that he addresses men and women together, but differently here. um, Because men and women are different. 
I think that's something we don't want to talk about a lot anymore. Um, But men and women are made differently. Otherwise, we have different attributes. Otherwise, we wouldn't have been made differently. Why would God make us different from each other unless we had different strengths? (laughs) I wish we could show our faces. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I I just think um, that's also something we could get more specifically into. But the point I want to make here is women's bodies are different than men's. So therefore modesty looks different for women and men. Yeah. And that's always been true. Yeah. And when we, when you were kind of doing the pre-work for this research, um, we were in a, in a room full of our friends and you had asked the question, what are questions you have about modesty? What are thoughts you have about modesty? And our friend Mike had a really good point that I never thought of, which is that, it is harder for women to be modest yeah. because of how easily sexualized their mm-hmm. bodies are. So in that, he also brought up that it's really hard to dress if you have a different body type, right? Yeah. So that's that's, yeah. that's really that's really true, right? People yeah. with bo- different body types, like you can't wear all the same thing. It's the same thing for like men and women, right? It's like yeah. you just can't wear the same thing. Yeah. And. That is just what it is. You just don't sit the same. We have different body parts. We have different body types. We don't all look the same. And that's beautiful, but it also changes how we dress. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And and then also kind of speaks to, like, modesty is not this blanket statement that can be applied one way to everyone, which so often, especially for women, it's like, it's, you know, either the spaghetti strap discussion or... um, the flared yoga or the flared leggings, whatever they call them. Yeah. Um, yeah. So just my point is it's, it just speaks to the, that modesty is not this blanket statement in practice. Yeah. Something in, when I talked about modesty in this, in my discipleship group, something that I thought was really cool and interesting that the girls brought up that I didn't really think that much about before we were talking about it is, um, this passage, the passage in First Corinthians, when we compare it to the passage in Second Timothy, I thought, oh, they're saying like pretty similar things. Like they're talking about like how to dress in a specific context, and those contexts are like sort of similar. Although Ephesus is like a little different because of the whole Artemis thing going yeah. on. Um, but they were like, yeah, how do we know if how much in the culture we're supposed to be when we dress? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, that's a good point. That's something yeah. to think about for sure. Um, yeah, that's just something, I don't know. We don't have to talk a ton about that. I just thought that that's really interesting that we can be like, it's like being in the world, but not of the world. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think the last thing I wanted to say specifically about like men and women and dressing differently is yeah, that there's like all this language throughout the Bible about men, how men are supposed to dress specifically when they're preaching. It's everywhere. Um, We see that like in the Old Testament all the time, how like what priests have to wear when they're ministering, like what consecrated clothing is, clean clothing, all throughout Leviticus and Exodus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. We hear all about that, right? It's not like God is just like women dress this way and never talks about how men are supposed to dress. That's not true. Yeah. 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 I had a few things, just points, like general points to talk about, um, when it comes to modesty and our ideas of modesty, this one, the one I'm about to say, is I think the most misunderstood thing about <laughs> modesty ever. Like it's just in Christian culture. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I think we can talk more about this later. I think I, yeah, I think there's a question. Yeah, there yeah, is. There's a question for that. Okay. <laughs> um, so we, we're, I think, I don't know if you want to talk about the question now, but so the point, what, now it's a lot of buildup, <laughs> but the point of modesty for women is not, not to curb the sexual desires of men. And that. True. That's true. <laughs> ah, that okay, is, tell us oh, why. Tell us why. Oh, well, first of all, it's it's inconsistent with the definition of modesty that we've put forward, that it's a heart orientation, yeah. right? Um, like the point is supposed to point back to Christ. That's for you. That's not about other people and their life and their slavery to sin. Yeah. It's not. Um, I, I think we're going to put some little clarifications on that. I mean, I have some ideas about like clarifications to that, but the fact is, and it's been proven by research and by statistics that if a person is determined to sexualize or objectify a woman, they're going to do so regardless of a woman's clothing. Yeah. People get sexually assaulted no matter what they're wearing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just walking down the street and sweats in a hoodie, you can be catcalled. Yes. It happens. Yep. It happens all the time. Yeah. Yeah. The point of modesty to reiterate for women is to not overly draw attention to appearance so that it distracts from godly qualities apart from physicality. This also doesn't mean that we should be hiding the culturally attractive, the parts of us deemed attractive by culture, um, parts of ourselves, but it also doesn't mean we should be flaunting or overly accentuating these parts of ourselves because that's drawing attention to our flesh again and not to Jesus. And I think... A big part of, and I don't want to attribute this all to the body positivity body positivity movement because mm-hmm. I think that there are some very positive aspects For of sure. that movement. Yep. Um, but I think what it has kind of like brought to the surface for me is the way that women dress their bodies and show their bodies and celebrate their bodies in today's cultural context, I think has a lot to do with like the saturation of sex in our culture Mm. and sexuality and sex is very powerful yeah and for a very long time women have been disempowered yes um and now we kind of have we have a lot more sexual liberation and i think that comes out in our expression of how we just in, in our appearance and everything um and i think there is importance and value in loving your body, owning your body, celebrating its sexuality, celebrating its beauty in a very specific context. Cause there is a godly way to do yeah. that defined by scripture. Um, and it's, it's not for everybody. And, and th- this is very contentious, but I think that when you are bringing your sexuality and it's the first thing people notice about you, it's not about empowerment. It's about power. Yeah. Ooh. It's leveraging power. That's a good point. I think that's a very good point. Um, yeah, so I guess if I could just pose to you the question, because I feel like it's a good time to talk about sure. it. Um, and I, this question is in my mind constantly because of something a friend said to me, which I will say once I pose the question to you. Um, the question is this. Do you think women should be dressing a certain way in order to help men? What do you think, Sarah? Can I write notes on this? I don't think so. I think that women, when they, when I get up in the morning, the last thing I'm, I think I need to think about is how do I need to avoid causing a brother 
to stumble. Yeah. Like that's the that's the common language. I don't think that's something to not think about. Mm-hmm. But I think the like you know when I'm getting ready in the morning, um, I think that my heart and my thoughts and my plans for the day should be focused on how am I honoring the Lord today? Yeah. How am I imitating Christ today? Um, and like, all, like so much of that has nothing to do with the clothes I put on. Yeah. Again, modesty is a, it's a heart posture. It is an attitude. And I think whatever my attitude is, you know, in the morning, my, my appearance is going to flow out of that. Mm. Um, and you know, when men who, you know, could potentially sexualize women when they wake up, if that's what's in their heart, that's what they're going to do. That's what's in their heart. Um, so I am not responsible for somebody else's attitude. I don't think the Lord holds me responsible or accountable for somebody's attitude or how they yeah. approach their relationships with others. So, yeah. so no. I, I don't think that women should be dressing sexually or, you know, it's kind of, again, that balance of, like, how much in the culture are we right. versus set apart. Right. I don't think it's necessarily wrong to follow all trends. Um, mm-hmm. and things like that. But yeah, I, if you're going to dress provocatively for lack of a better term, um, I think that, that at, at least for me, when I guess I could best speak for me, I think that when I have decided like, Oh, I want to show like a little extra of this or that it has never been like the thought in my mind has never been like, you know, I hope Jesus likes this. It's been like, I hope he notices this, Ooh. you know? I think we need to start with the heart, the attitude, um, and our appearance is going to flow out of that. And you know how this is going to affect men is not even something that's going to cross my mind. And I don't think that it it should be. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I agree with you. I think that's something I've definitely fallen prey to in the past, right? Yeah, like yeah. that. I can't say that that never crosses my mind that yeah. I would be dressing so somebody else notices me, right? Yeah. I think that's something we all fall into. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, I think it's interesting. I think um, in general, yes, and and me being me, um, unmarried and floating in the world, um, <laughs> I'm not like I'm not waking up. I'm not waking up and being like I'm not good. I'm gonna dress so men notice me. I'm not. Yeah. But I think what I've heard from some people who have significant others is like, well my husband, my boyfriend, my partner, and I have had a conversation where he has been like, this is really difficult for me. I, I have, when, when you wear whatever, I see myself falling more into temptation. So then they, as a committed partnership, maybe out of love for each other, the woman has been like, well, I'm going to try to not wear this because I know it makes it really hard for you. And I have a hard time saying that's not really loving. I think it is. I would agree that that's loving. I I think in a committed relationship, it's different than like for the world. Yeah. Right. As like a single, like, yeah, I, I think we both are speaking more so out of like the identity as like single women. Right. Um, yeah, I agree with you. And I had not thought of that, that it does change when you're in a relationship. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's like, that's a really sacrificial thing to do. Right. Like that's really loving. Um, and it's not to say, I don't think that 
the man in that relationship is like blaming the woman for his desire there. He, she's just coming alongside him and helping him in his journey to battle against sin and temptation. Yes. And it becomes very apparent when that dynamic becomes abusive. Like yeah, outlines that. Yeah. Like if he is submitted to Christ, then I, I trust. Yeah. 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 So I think, um, in, if I were in a committed relationship, I think having that conversation, wouldn't be outlandish. I think in general, someone asking me to dress a certain way for the benefit of, of men to not lust. Yeah. Yeah. Men are going to lust if men are determined to lust. Yeah. Yep. Agreed. So Sarah, you went to fashion school. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I did go to fashion school. I do have a fashion degree. Super random. Yeah. But What's um, the what's the relevance of this? The relevance of this is another point I wanted to bring up is that um, modesty is not anti-fashion. Yeah, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on that and your approach to to fashion. Yes. Um, so interestingly, I became a believer in fashion school in mm-hmm. Manhattan, which is like a very unexpected yeah. place and way to come to Christ. Um, but I wouldn't have had it any other way. It's been great. So I do have like a personal like fashion philosophy, if you will. And that is that everybody looks their best when they look like themselves. Mm. And that is kind of born out of this idea, this fact that everybody is made in the image of God, but everybody was also so intentional, intentionally and thoughtfully crafted by their creator. So after I became a believer in fashion school, my relationship to clothing and fashion, it changed a lot and it became less about what impression am I making with my body and with my belongings. And it became more about what impression am I making about my faith and and about Jesus Christ. Mm. And so, you know, having that background and, you know, kind of fashion as like this thing that's always been part of my life is like, I still enjoy fashion and I still enjoy my personal style. I enjoy high quality products. I enjoy some trends, emphasis on some, Mm. a lot of them are real whack. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I enjoy helping people find their fit and help themselves Um, feeling secure and confident in the way they look. But even more so, I enjoy that for the glory of God. Mm. Um, And so when people ask me about my background in fashion or, you know, I get lots of questions on fashion advice. My philosophy is that everyone looks their best when they look like themselves. And I think that applies both secularly and to Christians. Yeah. but, but my approach to fashion, it involves asking, how can I help this person see the beauty and uniqueness, uniqueness within themselves that God had thoughtfully and intentionally create, crafted? Um, how do I create comfort and ease mm-hmm. in their personal style? Going back to that idea of like freedom, like modesty is about freedom yeah. and hate of sin. Um, so how do I create comfort in their personal style so that their appearance is second in their mind, um, so that they're actually not even concerned with the way they look like that's taken care of. Um, and they're just empowered to be in their body and to walk out their faith and do the works that Christ has prepared for them. 
Oh, what a good answer. Yeah, thank you. I think that's really beautiful. Yeah, I think it's... I think it's about being comfortable in the body that the Lord has given you to honor him. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, personal style is, is still important to me. Um, of course. Again, like Paul is not teaching anyone to dress plainly. He, right. he, uh, he acknowledges that we will adorn ourselves. Um, and so, yeah, I think that dressing fashionably for a, a woman of faith, I think everyone can look different in you know a congregation or in a community of believers um and still be modest and still be stylish yeah 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 okay well i think the very last thing i had to say and the point i wanted to talk about is this question i think we we get a lot right because we we've been doing the work we as christians i think to um reconcile ourselves to our bodies a lot recently, which I think has come about kind of in tandem with the body positivity yeah. movement, um, in that we're moving towards like accepting and loving our physicality, um, the people that we are physically, um, the body that we live in. Um, and so the question that we, I get a lot is if my body is good, which I believe our bodies are good, I believe our relationships with our bodies are broken due to the fall, but our bodies were given to the Lord, um, given to us by the Lord um, before the fall, why can I not show my body off? And that's a hard question. It's such a hard question. And I think the answer is you are allowed to show your body off, allowed, um, in quotes. Yeah. But the Lord has been so good to us and loves us so much that he gives us a safe context to do that. Uh, you had, you wrote in your notes, first Corinthians six, 19 through 20. Um, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the mm. Holy spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore honor God with your bodies. Um, so if you know, when you understand the uh, the holiness of God, the what's the word like de- not what's the word I'm looking for? Like God as a deity, mm. like God as the ultimate creator, like the most powerful being in the yeah. universe. Like if you have reverence for that and understand that He has not only created you, but like put himself into you. Yeah. Like, Oof. yeah, your body is great. Like, your body's so good. Your body's so great. Yeah. Um, uh. and, and there's an intimacy is like, so, so sacred mm-hmm. because that's part of it. Um, it's not, it's not for everyone to look at yeah. and to have and to own. Like it was bought with a price. It is so valuable. Mm. Um, and I think we get that twisted so easily, Mm -hmm. like so easily. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think we do get it really twisted. I think like the Lord, um, like for some of us, those of us who are, um, not pursuing, um, vocational singleness with, which kill it. That's awesome. Um, the Lord has given us a place in marriage to show off our bodies. Yeah. Um, with a safe person who has made a commitment to us. Yeah. 
to enjoy our bodies and to joy our our spouses. Yep. Bodies. Yeah. Yep. And the Lord has given us that safe place. Out in the world, people have not made promises to you. Yeah. People have not promised to honor your body, honor your temple, and keep you safe. Yeah. Yeah. The Lord wants us to be the, safe. Yeah. In the way that the Lord would want it to be. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And that's true. And that's true. Well, Savannah, um, that was a lot. That um, was a lot. A lot of good stuff. And stuff that like is never, ever spoken about mm-hmm. in the discussion of modesty. Um, so thank you all if you made it to the end. Um, thank you for listening. Thank you, Savannah. Will you come back? I will come back. Okay, if you will have me back. <laughs> of course, yes. <laughs> we'll always have you. Um, all right. So that's it for now, guys. Um, I'll talk to you when, you know, when I feel like it. Oh my gosh. That is my anti strategy strategy. Um, Yeah, I don't have a posting schedule, which I know is a problem for some people, but. Chaos!